Welcome to SlayerFest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I'm joined by co-host Scooby NYA author Adam Sass and fellow Scooby and managing editor at Primetimer.com Joe Reed and Buffy writer and executive producer on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Drew Z. Greenberg. Hi! Yay! Drew, I'm excited to have you on. I'm excited to be on. This is very fun. So far. Um, (laughs) This is your episode. Like, your first one. (laughs) My first one. Drew, I would, uh, you have already told it to me, and I actually really like your Buffy origin. Would you like to give us your origin about how you came to be working on the show? Sure. I, uh, so I was a fan of the show first. Um, I was in law school when the show premiered, uh, and it was very much one of the things that I retreated to when I needed a break from school. Uh, so I was very, I was always very happy to look forward to the weekly dose of, of Buffy. Um, and then after, after I graduated from law school, I moved to LA and I became an aspiring writer and, uh, um, it ended up that, that Buffy ended up being the first, uh, staff job that I had. The, the process of getting there, um, w- was that I went in first, I met, uh, at, at 20th Century Fox, which was the studio that produced it. And they said, um, you know, and they knew I had talked to the guy that I was meeting with and I said, listen, Buffy is my favorite show. Obviously, if I had a dream, that's where I'd want to be. And he would be like, yeah, that's everybody's dream. There are no spaces, <laughs> there are no spaces on the writing staff on, on Buffy, but you know, let's see what we can do at other shows. And then uh, that led to a meeting at Mutant Enemy where the executive that I met with there said, just to let you know, there are no spots open on the Buffy writing staff, um, but let's talk about what else uh, you might be able to do. And then they set up a meeting for me with Joss and Marty and I really, like, it wasn't until I was partway through that meeting that I realized I was being interviewed for a spot on Buffy, because um, I believed everything that I had been told up until that point. Ooh, and they I, did a little switcheroo on you. They did. They gotcha. Did. The nicest switcheroo anyone's ever done. I was going to say, that's, yeah, that's, so a that's what you good. want. That's your right? first Hollywood switcheroo. Yeah. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's the one you never really hear about. But um, also, you left out a part that you told me that your meeting was right after... The gift oh, yeah. aired, right? <laughs> yeah, the, literally the next morning. Uh, I watched, I guess it was Tuesday night then, right? I watched The Gift air on a Tuesday night and went in for my meeting with Joss and Marty the next Wednesday morning <laughs> after having watched Buffy plunge to her death. After <laughs> watching a zoom in on a gravestone. Yeah, like, right? It's not, right. Like, it's not like, oh, she, she's going she's gonna, gonna, to mm, shake it off. <laughs> the opening of season six is like, no, she's underground. Right? I like the yeah. idea of you like, walking yeah. into the offices and they're hanging up the signs that just say like Buffy's family instead of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> like, oh my God. Hold that show. Cindy Duncan would have been fantastic. Yeah, right? <laughs> I wish I could have seen that. I would have loved some sort of like Golden Palace esque, like oh. really bad one season spinoff. Like, right. yeah. The fact that we've already referenced Sandy Duncan and Golden Palace makes this my favorite interview. Ever. <laughs> it's a good sign. Yeah, okay. Good yeah, for the rest of the show. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yes. I feel like I'm at home. We are a very gay podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so did they, did they like when they're interviewed did they because I mean I'm assuming they probably had to discuss where the show was going did they kind of tell you or yeah. like there was okay, a little I didn't. mean a little bit he, I didn't get everything but but right. definitely um, you know I walked in and we all knew that the show was coming back and it's uh, you know I think the deal for it switching to UPN had already been announced I think at that point 
Um, I mean, certainly the WB aired that card at the end, I remember. Yeah. They said, thanks for five great years. So, you know, we knew that the show was moving. Right. Uh, everybody knew that Buffy wasn't going to stay dead. But nonetheless, you walk into the meeting going like, all right, seriously, what's up? Like, what, what's going on? <laughs> because this, yeah, this was like pre, this was like, you know, Buffy was just really early in that sort of like gag TV era. So that we weren't really used to like how, you know, it would be like, oh my God, where would be this complete slam bang ending and like, what, how, right. how are you going to do this? If that like, aired today, you would have immediately after the episode, like Vanity Fair being like five things you need to know about that episode of Buffy and like what's happening. You know what I mean? Like everybody would know immediately. Like they'd have figured out that Willow would have done it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, it, yeah, it's funny. I was just telling someone recently that there was like a, a former coworker from like when I was, how old was I when the season finale would have aired? I think 19, 18, maybe 20. Uh, Cause I remember there was a, co- I worked at a movie theater and there was a coworker who had for some reason missed it, but she loved the show. So she made me like, in vivid detail tell her every single thing that happened (laughs) and then she had to go she had to go in the back and cry because she was so upset that Anya died and a friend was like but why wouldn't she just oh right back then you didn't know when you'd be able to see it if you missed it I was like yeah so (laughs) you did some like old like cave painting like (laughs) stories traveling roadshow kind of a thing (laughs) the way it was done (laughs) and now I'm still doing it today on a podcast (laughs) Um, so today we're here to discuss uh, Drew's first Buffy episode, Smashed. Adam, would you like to begin? Yeah, let's begin. Um, yeah, Smashed is following quite a few episodes. This was this is this was following the Giles departure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so this is this is post musical, post Tabula Rasa. Giles and Tara are gone. So like, yeah, this is definitely like the di- the Smash dynamic is. Like, wow, we're in this, like, brand new Buffy dynamic where it's really shrunk down, where it's really this, like, ladies in a house vibe, um, yeah. which, great, which, welcome, Drew Greenberg, you, you've amazed, <laughs> you've brought us <laughs> quite an ensemble now. And by the way, I've been trying to recreate ladies in a house my entire career. It loses them still. Um, no, yeah, this is, yeah, so good. So we're basically the main, I mean, this is really a big Willow episode. Willow is missing Tara, and she's found a way to bring uh amy back from rat hood which she had been in since i think season three Ian? Mm-hmm. yeah that's why she, yeah. she thought they were still in high school mm-hmm. i have to say i i do like the opening that she's actually stopping a regular mugging uh i thought that was like different um right. and i was happy for you adam and you joe because the murder she wrote reference drew is a plus I'm, I'm glad I'm sitting down because I was, was like watching it again. I was like, wait, they referenced it. It was great. I'm glad that you guys appreciated it. I, again, I was sort of, that was sort of, uh, I, I, I was, you know, when I rewatched the episode uh, in preparation for this chat with you guys, I was like, all right, that was my announcing that I was here. <laughs> it was great because you could definitely like, you know, like Buffy's great because you could, it's really, um, it's really painterly with a lot of the who wrote what episode. You can really tell, and I think that's part of the yes. charm. You can really tell, like, oh, this episode was written by, like, a straight Trekkie. Okay, this was written by a gay <laughs> Trekkie. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell that it's um, by the rep, because there's just, like, so many references in each one, and the, how the references go episode to episode is definitely the identity of the author behind the scenes. 
that's a there's a fascinating study to be done in that i, I believe <laughs> i think when once slayer fest finishes season seven you should just go through again and, see and do a little study on I, I was thinking about that as i was watching the episode and knowing that we were going to be talking to you drew because uh, i i remember buffy was one of those few handful of shows that i watched so i was so into back then that i i remember being that up on the writers, all the different sort of like this writer writes this character particularly attentively. And like these writers are like this. And like it was it was really unique in that way. I remember being like I remember just having very like strong opinions on like uh, Rebecca Rand Kirshner and, and uh, David Fury. And I was just like I had like very I was very much like I had my yeah. ideas and my thoughts. And and this was and I was just amazed that this was your first episode that you like talk about being sort of like thrown in head first, just like the such a crucial turn of plot with what happens at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a, as a fan, it was super intimidating to realize what, you know, we, we, we were breaking the episode for a little while and there were a couple of pieces that, that took their time falling into place. And once they did, and I realized, okay, I'm doing my first episode out is going to be Amy and it's going to be Buffy and Spike having sex for the first time. And I was like, this is intensely exciting as a fan. And as a first-time writer, I'm scared out of my mind. Uh, and I was. So yeah. it was, you know, it was definitely, um, it was super fun and super uh, terrifying. Yeah, you were basically tasked with planting the seeds for Dark Willow, really. Here. Yeah. I mean, I know yeah. they've been, like, they've been hinted for a while, but this is really where you start to see, like, um oh oh this is no good it, it's it's certainly um continue it's the next phase like i think the seeds had all been there for a while for sure and this was definitely ratcheting it up uh a little bit and uh i was kind of delighted that i got to to take that on uh i remember after we broke the episode um or you know when when it was when it all sort of fell into place i remember it was late like we we had a we had a night where we were breaking the thing. It was super exciting, but I remember everybody was filing out of the office and I turned to Marty and I was like, I'm so excited and I'm so scared. <laughs> and, and you know, she said something basically like, yeah, that's fine. Don't just don't fuck it up. Um, and you know, uh, it, it certainly was taking, taking the baton from what had come for so long before and trying to get it to the next, to the next phase. Uh, so yeah. I certainly felt the pressure of that. Yeah. I would, that's, I was actually going to ask you if, you had pitched Amy coming back or if that was just always part of the plan? The way I remember it is that it was always part of the plan. I think, I think they, if I'm remembering it correctly, they had been looking for a chance to bring Amy back. Um, okay. And uh, it just, this happened to be the right, you know, in, it was the, it was the, a cool way to, to illustrate uh, in a dynamic way that Willow was taking a turn. Yeah, it feels like something. One of those ideas that could have been like on a piece of paper, like tacked to a board off to the side, and just like Amy back, and just like question mark, and it's like <laughs> yes. they sort of like pull it off when they think like you know this is the right time for it because for sure, yeah. like later seasons, you're just like, right. hey, let's what do we got in the old you know you know treasure chest a little bit because like, even in the way like that plays out where willow sort of like looks over at amy and she's like oh poor amy it's too, it's too bad i can't fix you and she's like wait a second i'm like super powerful like i probably could fix you if i like think about it for a second right right and the fact that you know in at least in story we had to wait for the point where willow was powerful enough that she could just be like basically <laughs> wave her fingers and go oh that's how you do it right you know and to indicate that she was powerful enough now that uh that, that she'd, she'd reached a level where that was all that it would take. 
Um, and so in a way, it couldn't have been done, at least not this way before. And also, I think it probably was that thing where it's like, we know we want to do it sometime. What do we still have that's uh, that's hanging? What's the the uh, the unfinished business that we still have? Mm. Oh, here's one, and here's how it could work yeah. in the story. You know, it's great because there was, um, you know, because, you know, we're obviously doing the addiction metaphor. And, yeah. uh, I mean, you, there really is no one else who could act as sort of the enabler of Willow. Tara's gone. Um, and Giles is gone. Tara never. Well, Giles and Tara are the only ones who had done magic before, and both would right. never. So you needed someone who was like, who could be in there, who knew her, who could yeah. like have the familiarity to like have that sort of influence. Amy was raised with those like fungible ethics too about like witchery. Yeah. Her mother wasn't the best influence on her, yada, yada, like all of that. That's right. Oh, for sure. I did want to, um, so, and this is like not fun, but like uh, Spike's language he uses is like, yeah. I feel very intentional, especially through most of the episode. Uh, like he had been, you know, they had kissed the last two episodes. He had kind of been her like rock previous to that. Like he'd been the one that she could be like herself, quote unquote, with. But then in this episode, he kind of goes back to being the season five. Uh, I want, I'm going to make you love me. Creep. Was that like, how did, was that, did that kind of just come about while you were writing him? Or was that like, he needs to take that turn back to being kind of a dick? You know what? You know, it's funny. I was, like I said, I was, I was rewatching the episode um, to get ready to talk to you guys. And mm. one of the things that it reminded me about and something I haven't thought about in, in years was that when I, when I joined the staff after that interview with Joss and Marty and, and a little while later, I, you know, I got to show up for my first day. Um, somebody explained it to me that it was, uh, it was a season about Buffy making terrible choices. And one of those terrible choices was Spike. Mm. And, it's funny because, you know, it, it was sort of described to me the way it was. It was like not unlike the dynamic in, of all things, um, You Can Count on Me, where oh, wow. Laura Linney yes. is, right, is raising her kid Brother. alone. And, right, right. Uh, and, and Matthew Broderick is the worst yes. possible yeah. fuck buddy she could have. Um, and so, in a way, Spike was, if you use that as the metaphor, Spike was sort of the Matthew Broderick just with eating people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Matthew Broderick eating people. Uh, see, but I, but I always loved Spike. Oh, I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Me too. Me too. I get it. I, I totally get it. Like, I, I always liked Spike also. And it's it's that interesting thing of like, you know, he's he's not supposed to be a good choice, but but A, the actor is incredibly charismatic and, and does yeah. these amazing things. And the character does have points that you know where where you say oh i get why he is this way right and so you can't 100 percent say he's a bad person there's something about that that i find really interesting it's certainly complicated and it certainly does make some of that language especially now it's really to watch it now it's it's kind of problematic to be sure but i mean i don't think it's like I think it's not like oh Drew's, <laughs> drew greenberg's problematic because he wrote this it's like oh this is on purpose that he's being like, you know what I mean? It reads that way. Yes. That was the goal. The goal was yeah. to say like, look, he's not the right choice for her. And this is why, because despite everything you know about him that you like at the end of the day, right now, who Spike is, is this guy still, at right. least that's who he resorts to. It's yeah. who he wants to be. And I think I didn't realize that as much when I was younger watching it. I mean, you know, cause things like that can go over your head. Not that I wasn't already an adult, but you know, I wasn't, 
<laughs> I wasn't 36 like I am now. So like, you know, watching it now, it's like, oh God, why did I want her to be with him so badly watching him talk to her like this? Well, it's such an interesting uh, dilemma, you know, like you, you, it's a, it's a characterization that's presented with so much more nuance and subtlety than I think anybody uh, gave the show credit for. It, it worked on so many levels and was so complex. And you don't always you, you don't always get that on first blush, especially yeah. you know, especially if you're if you're a young person. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think there's 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 nothing wrong with that. Well, I think with these choices, um, this is definitely the season where it makes sense for her to be making sort of wrong choices because, you know, especially they yeah. say it in this episode that she came back wrong. When you feel when you're when you're really young, because she's 19, 20, in this, you know, she's, you know, very young. And, yeah. um, and you feel wrong and bad. You, like, kind of want to – there's a part of you that really wants to feed into that. And this is like a supernatural choice for it. And I think it really works because the audience, maybe 5% wants this to happen because we've kind of seen him be, you know, we love him as wacky neighbor Spike, but then when it turns into like, you know, I think, you know, the show is always very, very careful to not go too long before reminding us that Spike is you know a monster um yeah they'd go through these long spells where he'd be just funny and, and helping and everything and a little grouchy but then you would hit these points where it'd be like you need to be reminded again that this is what we're who we're dealing with that's right that there is still a monster in there yeah i so my <laughs> i'll get your opinion on my defense of spike <laughs> my defense is always like in the world of the show it's like that monster is there until season seven and like by the rules that y'all have in the universe, I it's almost like with Jean Grey, where I have to accept that she can read a mind. You know what I mean? It's like, I can't, uh, like, there's not like a thing where it's like, oh, well, was she right when reading his mind? It's like, she has to be right because I have to accept those rules. So for me, I always think like the reason, the like way adult me kind of reasons it is like, well, he's still a monster because he doesn't have his soul. So like the soul is the big change. And like you said, there's still a monster in there, but in season seven, there isn't. I don't know. I, what is your thought on that? <laughs> I think that's a really good, I think that's a pretty accurate description of it. I, you know, I think that, that what ended up happening in the season was just as you guys are saying, there's that reminder that, yeah, Spike has been fun for a little while up until now, but did you forget that he's actually a monster here? We'll remind you that he is. And I think yeah. it becomes increasingly dark as the season goes on uh, yeah. so that we can get to that point where he's desperate enough to want to make a change um, and and turn himself into something that's not a monster anymore. Speaking to that, though, did you have an appreciation at the time that maybe <sighs> like the degree to which you might be like swimming upstream against the fandom a little bit, where like the fandom was so, in my experience at least back then, so pro Spike and so pro Spike and Buffy getting together that like you were going to have to sort of like do this pushback kind of against what they wanted, which was maybe a less complicated idea of Buffy and Spike as a couple that you're just like, well, if you're going to get them, it's going to be this dark and you're going to have to remember all of this time that like, this is how sort of dark and, and, and sort of shaded Spike is. It's funny. I, I did not. I, um, what I was, what I was preparing myself for and what I saw right away, especially as the one who wrote this episode 
Um, what I saw was the other side of things. The ones who were still pining for Angel, who oh, had yeah. his own series on another network. Yeah. Um, yeah. And was definitely not coming back. Yeah. Uh, and and so so what I was bracing myself for were, was that camp. The I always my experience with the Buffy fans, and maybe I'm super naive, but my experience with the fans was that they were incredibly smart and um, and and understood so much of what was happening most of the time better than I did, uh, and that I I took it for granted that they would understand that Spike was a complicated character. Yeah. Um, and so I blissfully ignored the, the <laughs> facts that you're talking about, walked right ahead. You get into, because fandoms want certain things and it's always weirdly like not nuanced when they want certain things. Like, I mean, like fandoms wanted Harry Potter and Draco to get together and Draco's like this like weird <laughs> racist kid. Um, so it's like, there, there's part of that that's just like, well, you know, uh, it's it's like the conflict is sort of like what's 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 really great between Buffy and Spike. Right. That's what that. If we is got about. everything we wanted, yeah. If we got everything we wanted, no one would ever die, and everybody would be making out constantly. And while that would be super fun to watch, like I was like, the stakes are somewhat lower there. I do think it's strange in in part two of of uh, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child when um, Draco and Harry Potter do make out. I think that is. Oh, is supposed to keep the secrets. I lose the lottery every week, Drew. So thank you very much. Now I don't have to edit anymore. So, there, so sorry. We, uh, yeah, yeah. And there's a whole podcast where we need to unpack all of the like homoeroticism and cursed child. Like, there's just it's closer than ever before. It's very intense. Uh, welcome to our Harry Potter podcast. <laughs> yeah, right. it's, it's close. <laughs> So then we get, you know, Amy comes back, she yells, we get the trio fumbling around. I thought it was a smart note that I definitely missed until this viewing that Warren says the cop will be fine. And then when Amy's watching the news, they say he's in critical condition. I was like, ooh, I definitely missed that before. Warren's a liar. Uh, What was it like writing the trio? Because I feel... You know, one of our guests, David Vasquez, said earlier in the season that they are absolutely still relevant because they would be the guys leaving negative reviews of Captain Marvel without yeah. having seen it. And I feel like <laughs> that's 100% accurate of them. Like, what was it like writing them? Did you know that how dark they would get? Or was it kind of like, uh, Tara's going to die, but we're not sure? Or was it always going to be Warren? Um, it's funny because I've, I've completely blocked that out. I think that, I think that we <laughs> knew that it was going to be... We did know it was going to be Warren, okay. um, if I recall correctly. I... Um, had a blast writing those three. I just wouldn't let myself think about uh, the darkness that was going to come. But to me, they, I mean, it's its true that they are absolutely now the guys who who would be, like you said, they'd be Gamergate. They would, you know, they're, yeah. they're terrible. Um, at the time, I think, again, we were, it was a different era and we were a little bit more naive, or at least I was. Um, and so they were just nerds, uh, who were, who were, who didn't have access to the kinds of things that, that we do today. Um, and so they were at that, especially at this stage of the season, um, 
they were just fun to write. I mean, Warren definitely was. Yeah, I was going to say, like, give yourself more credit than that. I feel like you guys really did. Like, (laughs) Warren as a character is maybe one of the most, like, prescient Buffy characters. Just because he was like, that. you got that exactly right. That type of guy. I think, you know, I think there was something certainly uh, in the wind uh, at that point. And Warren got to take on that that mantle. And I think, like, that's a big part of why season six, like, emotionally hurts as much as it does because you know these early episodes with the trio does paint them in such a mostly like these are just stumbly goofy jerks you know there's like you're having so much fun that in dead things when like it does get very serious very suddenly um, it makes sense, mm-hmm. but it's also like, oh shit, these are, this is who these guys are. You know, you, you've been yeah. having fun. It's a little bit of the like, oh, the audience is kind of a little complicit in it now kind of moments, which are always yep. fun to do. Yeah, I, I find that on the rewatch, rewatching it, especially since I've been rewatching it for the podcast, because it's like, you know, I have to give it a little bit more thought than just, this is my favorite show. <laughs> I think that I notice more that it's like Joe said, you guys really did a good job with that because it's like, oh, that Warren was always there. He just didn't have the gun yet, right? Like he literally didn't have it yet. And then once it was in his hand, he did the thing. But he, from season five, the moment we're introduced to him, he's a total fucking creep. He's like gross, creates a sex robot. And you don't ever, none of you ever tried to make him sympathetic, but you still didn't make him like cartoonishly monster. He felt like a real monster. Well, that was always, that was always the point of, of what the season was going to be was that the yeah. the worst monsters uh this was this was Joss saying that the worst monsters in the world are are humans yeah um yeah. and and in this particular case humans like Warren um yeah. and that was for sure the goal from the, from the beginning um and and the 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 way to get there obviously was to bring you along first and and present somebody who you know, like it, it's all there. It was there, just like you said, it was there since season five. Um, that that it doesn't come out of nowhere, and yet because he's hanging around with these other guys who are kind of funny and kind yeah. of hapless, and uh, you, you you think, oh, this is just going to be a romp, um, but they're the ones who cause the most devastation. Yeah, I I remember watching it and thinking like, oh, these these villains are like fun to watch until you know they weren't right well right. i think drew the social i mean to, to to what joe had said earlier how depression it is now i think the social good that this arc of these villains does is you're able to it allows people to recognize this sort of evil in their own lives because they may not know a guy who's running around shooting but they definitely know a guy who plays a little fast and loose with consent and with um respecting people's personal boundaries and space and making these jokes that are a little over the line and they can kind of in this show really tracks how that small thing really is a seed that grows into the worst thing i hope so it's cool to hear you say it that way that sounds pretty like uh like it's it's doing basically thank you for doing that yeah (laughs) yeah Obviously, that's Adam. It's incredibly insightful. You cracked your code. I did it again. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. Well done. I I really do think that was um, that that was there, uh, and 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 Joss was really trying to say, guys, are you know this guy in particular is a creep, um, yeah. and he's the one to watch out for. You don't know it yet, but you're going to see how devastating mm. he can be. I if it does if it does that kind of thing if it does 
allow people to look around and say like, oh, I, I know somebody like this. Yeah. Great. You can confront it early. That's yeah. And we, and we need it now more than, I mean, we always needed it, right? but we're so much more aware of it now that like, let's have that out there in the world. So people can, yeah. Like Warren could have maybe, Warren could have maybe had to like a bunch of followers if he had access, like bigger access to like Twitter or YouTube or something, which makes me want to like cry blood. But, um, (laughs) so I also love Buffy and Amy's interactions. Um, when she's like, uh, hi, how have you been? She's like a rat you. And she's like dead. That's Drew. Like, it's very apparent that you were also a big Buffy fan before you started writing the show. Cause like, that's for me, perfect. Like, Perfectly and even before that, just just to loop it all in, that that Larry line too, where she just goes, "Couple things, Larry's gay, Larry's dead, and <laughs> high school's over." And it's like, "Oh my god, it's so good." I love that you guys like that. I am going to be totally candid with you. A couple, most of what you're talking about was was handed to me. Like that was that was probably Joss uh, saying one, Larry's gay, two, Larry's dead, three, high school's over. That came directly from Joss. Yeah. Um, and he also really wanted to have that exchange uh, where Buffy, not knowing what to say, says, have you been? And in the answer is rat. I will happily take credit for the couplet that came after where she says, how about you? And Buffy says, yeah. uh, because I was like, it needs an answer. And so yeah. uh, I, I tacked it on. But credit where it's due, Joss handed me the, uh, handed me the, the gold um, of have you My been man. rat. <laughs> I I almost wish watching this, and I remember thinking this when she came back, I almost wish Amy wasn't bad. Like, I I feel like she would have been a cool, like, character who's, like, a sometimes friend who, like, maybe helps with a magic thing when they need help. Uh, Because I I think it's also weird that her, Harmony, and Jonathan are kind of the only characters that were side characters that stuck around. I mean, Harmony is gone in season five, but then she's back for Angel. So they're the only ones that were there from the beginning to the end? I don't disagree. And I, I had a lot of fun knowing the way Amy was going to go and you know, having some sense of, yeah. of the fact that Amy was going to be a bad influence on Willow. I took great delight in painting some of the human stuff between her and Buffy, the, the you know, like, I'm sorry about your mom. And, and yeah. all of that being incredibly sincere uh, because, again, it's about... It's about people being complex mm, and yeah. um yeah. i i like i like amy i i was <laughs> i got to write a couple of amy episodes over the you know my time at buffy yeah. and i always loved it um i think she's a fun character and um, you did the one where they body swap right with her and kennedy i did yeah i did uh, i really enjoyed that one too and <laughs> um getting to play some of her rage was yeah. fun but i also really liked the human moments where she can connect with Buffy and say, I'm really sorry that you've been going through this thing. This woman who just came out of, you know, three years in a cage as a rat right. uh, is showing compassion for somebody else. I like that. Uh, and, and to me, that was, that was, I, I like getting to play with that. The, that uh, sorry about your mom line reminded me of, I don't know if any of you are West wing people, but there was a West wing episode where Ron silver is this like very slick, uh, campaign guru wants to join the team and you're not quite sure whether you like him or not because he's very like he's more ethically dubious than these other like very very forthright people and so he has the meeting with the president do you want me to join the team blah blah, blah. and then at the very end because mrs landingham had died like earlier the pre the end of the previous mm. season and he just gets up to go and he says i'm very sorry about dolores landingham and it's like that's how you know that he may be slick but you 
like he's still a good guy. And I thought that Amy line with good was just like, you know, whatever else there is about Amy, like she's complicated, she's complex. And like, she's, she's a decent girl. It's funny, Joe, that you say that. I'm sure we've talked about this before um, in our interactions. I also am a fan of the West Wing and (laughs) there are uh, some on purpose and some not. There are references to that show over the entire body of my writing. Well, now I'm just going to go and watch it all again. You you can find them. They're, they're there on this show, on other shows. Some of them are subtle and some of them are way not. Yeah. Um, so, uh, good luck to you. Yeah. That's how I am with Buffy drew. I really reference it in like, I have to, when the first piece I wrote for actually for the website, Joe works for when I wrote a piece about Sabrina and I was like, okay, I'm actively trying not to reference Buffy because <laughs> I reference it all the fucking time. That's the thing. When you're, when I'm every writer's room I'm in, I have to sort of be like, Okay, don't talk about how this is really. Oh my god! <laughs> or, or really, just as often, don't talk about how this is like Buffy. Yeah, because like <laughs> they both still Buffy still Buffy is still a presence in my brain all the time. Not just the seasons that I worked on it, but the ones before. And I, you know, it, it's different when you're writing an article and you reference Buffy. That's fun. When I'm in a writer's room and I reference Buffy, I'm a dick. So. <laughs> Um, I have to work really hard not to Yeah, do that. that's like, I mean, it's, it's, Buffy is so like omnipresent in my brain that, um, like it almost hampers my viewing experience of similar things. Like I'm sitting there watching Sabrina trying to be like, don't compare this to, like, I, I'm just, I'm, part of my brain is just sitting there like arms crossed being like, well, this isn't Buffy. Like, um, and being like, all right, hold on, you monster. Like this is its own thing that everything has to be, but yeah, so. Well, so it's funny. Um, I, I mean, I always reference my mom is actually the one that got me into Buffy, and she's definitely like. It's not that she was younger; she was definitely like very much not the demographic. Cool. But my mom was just so excited that there was like a female hero on TV that was like clearly the hero that she immediately loved it. And I was like that nerd that was like, "Oh, you watch that show?" And then immediately the first time I watched <laughs> it was like, "Oh, I love this show too." Um and she's still like I brought her to see Captain she's 72. I brought her to see Captain Marvel and she was like, "I loved it, but it was very much like Buffy, right? You you think it was uh, like they like the people who made that movie like Buffy and I was like, "Probably." <laughs> Please tell your mom thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and also, if I may say, if I may jump in with with an anecdote, Uh, Not really an anecdote, more of a a general observation. I have now reached an age, um, and I've been doing this long enough, where I go in for meetings now. It used to be I'd go in for meetings and people would say, oh my god, your credits are amazing, which I've been very lucky. My credits are amazing. I've worked on some really cool shows. I'm very, uh, I feel very lucky and I'm very proud of the fact that I've gotten to do that. I've now reached an age where I walk into these meetings and executives will say to me, oh my god, your credits are amazing. Buffy, that's, Wow. That was my mom's favorite oh, show. God. <laughs> and I want to die. <laughs> I mean, thank you, but I want to die. Well, that, that's why I made that, like, I made sure to say that because I think the first time I said that to Jana Spencer, she was like, am I that old now that your mom was a teen? And I was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I really appreciate that. Thank no, you. That can be one of those things where, like, you know, like, I'll, if, I, if I'm, like, talking about, like, you know, we mentioned Murder, She Wrote before, that's one of those things where I'll say, I'll be like, I was like, oh, yeah, I, I you know, I watched that show with my grandma. That will be a common time. We'll be like, oh, my God, I used to watch the puppy with my grandma. 
yeah i we've had guests on that are like you know writers and big fans of the show that are like oh yeah i was like five when buffy aired i'm always like "Uh." possible (laughs) i said i said that to ann hache once i said i mentioned to her that i would watch another world with my grandma but i think she was so used to soap fans saying that kind of thing that i think she was completely like galvanized against it she was just like oh that's really wonderful i get that all the time i was like okay good like don't take that the right way don't take that the, the other yeah way. if i see someone i'm trying to impress i'll just be like i'm a big fan of the show i watched it by myself as a grown adult right i watched it at whatever age you are most comfortable imagining <laughs> i've been an adult my whole life yeah right <laughs> So um, now I'm like, where are we in this episode? Um, <laughs> Sorry, I think we we're at, we're we're at the bronze. Uh, Amy and Willow are having a hang. Wait, I did want to point out, Drew. I noticed, and I've I've definitely never noticed this before. When Amy's when Will, Buffy walks in and Amy's watching TV, there's a commercial for Double Meat Palace there is. on TV. There is. <laughs> we, um, we had a good time with that too. We, we, yeah, I we, we did know that was coming. <laughs> That's cool. Um, sorry, Adam. Yeah. The, yeah. So they well wait I think I think next is Tar- the Terry and Don right yeah um, well Spike and Buffy have their back and forth where he punches her uh, and we yeah, first right. learn the, the mechanics of because the yeah right I I did notice that and like you know Spike and Buffy have fought before but the way he punches her and she like crumbles immediately feels like extra brutal I mean she gets right back up but it's like she doesn't go flying she just like crumbles um yeah. and I thought that was like more brutal than we normally see because normally it's like oh they're superhero fighting yeah so it feels less quote-unquote real so when i was uh when i was a kid when i was in fifth and sixth grade i had this amazing teacher she was she stayed with us um uh after fifth grade was over she stayed with our class to sixth grade uh because she loved us and we loved her and she was she was just the most amazing woman and very much responsible for my uh she she helped me explore like my my desire to write creatively and really foster that in me. Um, definitely big influence. Um, when, when I got this episode, when I got this job and this episode was on, I reached out to her and I was like, listen, I mean, I've been, we, we would, she was the kind of person who was in touch with all of us over okay. the, you know, here and there over the years anyway. So it wasn't like the first time I was talking to her, but it was certainly the first big announcement that I had for her where I was like, listen, I have this job yeah. and I'm very proud of it. And she, she said, I'll watch she sent me an email after the episode aired where she said, Drew, I'm very proud of you. I know this is something you're enjoying, but I have to tell you, it's never okay for a man to hit a woman. Oh. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I like, was trying to explain the concept to her of like, Buffy's a superhero and Spike is a villain, usually, mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but, it, but, you know, I couldn't, she, right. she, that she, she was dropping in on the show and this is what she saw. Yeah, it's hard to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, yeah, I mean, you're kind of used to this. I mean, it is kind of a, te- a Captain Marvel thing where she is just very made of iron, and normally when someone hits her, it's like it's she doesn't flinch, and she's it's like uh, this real right. moment. But I think she just wasn't expecting it, or she's just yeah, it yep. just was. Um, it really set the stage for this whole like, oh god, she's different a little bit. Yeah, I yeah. I don't remember any of that being planned. I'm sure somebody uh, very thoughtfully planned all that stuff out. I'm glad they did. I mean, they just didn't tell me about it. I think it's great I, I, for exactly the reasons that you're saying. And, you know, for the fact that Buffy's not, she doesn't see it coming and she's so vulnerable right now that I think it, it, it manifests that uh, yeah. in that way. And, and I love it. Uh, I'm seeing it for the first time, you know, through those eyes now uh, in, in a way that I didn't even then. 
whoever was responsible for making that happen in the show, I think they did a really good job of expressing Yeah, season that. six is so lovely because it's like, it's, you know, the, the other seasons definitely have these long season arcs, but season six is really the first one that's really most enjoyable as a whole. That's really interesting to... Here. Yeah, like everything is very like because you have these sort of things where people, you know, when I say season six, people really only remember Dark Willow or the musical, these little tiny bits. But you know, I think that's because you know, so the the episode to episode sort of thing we're used to dealing with, you know, so much of of this is just watching kind of how Buffy goes and how Willow goes, and you know, and these longer um, West Wingian arts where, you know, everything is um, (laughs) (laughs) where I found one um, where everything is a little more um, kind of of a piece of a whole. Well, and it's, it's, I think a lot of that is probably to do with the fact that like, there is no external, I mean, there's the, the nerd trio, obviously, but like the, there's no real external big bad because the big bad ends up being Willow. Right. So the arc really starts from the first episode because a lot of most Buffy seasons, like Faith doesn't show up till episode three and the mayor doesn't really reveal himself as a bad guy for a while. And mm-hmm. like, it takes a little bit for the season arc to like kick in, usually about like episode five or six or whatever. And this season it was just like, nope, right at the beginning, like it's this, this one complete story yeah. from beginning to end. Well, the big bad in season six is like, life is hard and people are terrible. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. If you look, which is, <laughs> which is a my which real is life a big bad. No one has ever defeated. So. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> Who can't who can't relate to that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then we get uh, Tara and Dawn, and I really love their relationship because we don't get a lot of scenes with Tara. Tara doesn't get a lot to do outside of like scenes Willow, with Willow. Right. So I think it's really great to see what a like. I feel like she's, and I think was it you, Drew? I listened to the commentary. I think for the first episode of season six. And someone said that that was like the intention was to make Tara the cool aunt, and she very much is she very the like is. cool aunt to Dawn. Um, and for me, I like I like Dawn with Tara because I don't know, I I feel like she respects Tara as well as almost an equal, but like she, it's like a mom that she's not going to be bratty with. She doesn't have angst with Tara. Like that's- yeah, she doesn't. She just enjoys being yeah. with her. It's so uncomplicated in that way. Uh, which which I think is interesting and ironic because of the complicated relationship between Tara and yeah. Willow. Uh, yeah. I really enjoy it too. There, I mean, I I don't I'm not the kind of person who likes to. I get nervous about um, any time I feel good about something I've done because I, I know the other shoe is going to drop soon. But I <laughs> but I I'm very proud of the uh, of the uh, Don Tara scenes. I I like their dynamic a lot and I had a good time writing them and I, I there's there's a just a thing there between them that that is human and relatable and uh, I don't know they, they, they were and the two of them were cool together. you were really good about yeah. writing Tara with other characters because in older and far away I always really loved that Tara and Buffy got to have that sort of like little corner of that episode where like Tara was the one that Buffy could unload her horrible secret upon that was a fun that was just a fun thing I you know Getting to getting to see the the many sides of Terra, uh, any 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 time you could stick a character and start broadening the horizons a little bit by having them interact with other characters, I always think that's fun because you're unpacking new stuff. Um, and I think I think she's no exception. So I was very happy to get to be a part of that. Okay, uh, so then we get the scene in the magic box, which I do really like, and I also didn't notice 
ever until right now. Like, I think I always assumed they knew what she did to Tara, but they don't, right? That's right. I guess they, I guess they don't. I think they probably know the broad strokes of like that Willow over magicking right. has been a problem. Yeah. But I don't think they know the specifics of the spell that made Tara forget. I think they don't. Um, I just, it, it felt like one of those things where like, if you're friends with like a couple and you kind of know the breakup, you're like trying to stay out of it as much as possible. You're like, I know this was definitely Willow's fault somehow when I've been feeling it. And for the, for the most part, I'm just going to sort of nervously stay out of this. Yeah. (laughs) And you can totally see that like Willow wouldn't say anything and Tara wouldn't say anything either. Right. Like, right. Tara's not going to throw her under the bus and Willow is not gonna yeah. admit wrongdoing yeah yeah and i love that you had anya as the one as always is the one that's like no but this is what's happening yeah. why are you all yeah, is everybody <laughs> acting like crazy people anya was, anya was so much fun to write uh, <laughs> oh but, what a gift that's got to be just to be able to be that blunt about things i'm i'm not gonna say like i am anya because i definitely would never just outright say everything but i absolutely <laughs> if this were friends of mine i would be like it's weird. It doesn't have to be weird. Why are we doing this? It was, I wish it's such a breath of fresh air because I'm always, especially getting a little, you know, into my 30s now. I'm just like, I'm like every, each passing year, I'm just like, all right, knock it off. What's going on? Yeah. What's happening? Sure you would like to talk about it. Yeah. And I'm not that person. And I'm never, I'm never that person. So getting to write, I'm always the one who's like, oh, let's be really careful of everybody's feelings. So getting to write the character who who is that person is so much fun. Well, I always feel like Anya, Anya very much, like that character could have been a gay man, I feel like. Because yes. <laughs> like, I always say I'm like Buffy, I'm like, if like my, the Buffy characters were star signs, I'm like Buffy with like a willow moon and an Anya rising. Because <laughs> yeah. there's like every, I feel like, Every like LGBTQ person has like a little bit of Anya in them. <laughs> Such a good way of, of, of describing it. It's so true. She's sort of like she's a little bit of the Kim Cattrall. She, it, she? Yes. Yeah. We yeah. all have like a, none of us are like full Samantha, but there is a little bit that's definitely like or we're, we're full Anya, where we're just uh, it's what we, we admire we, that quality. Yeah. We all have that impulse to say it, and some of us are able to say it, and some of us have. Um, so much anxiety that that is impossible to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which one are you, Adam? I have no idea. Well, I'm a Gemini. I'm a Gemini with a Gemini rising. So I'm uh, Yeah, so then Spike goes to see Warren. He gets help from Warren um, because they have previously interacted in season five with the Buffy bot. So he like, because Spike doesn't even know that Warren's up to anything yet, right? In That's this right. season? Yeah, okay. I don't think anybody does yet. Yeah, they like right because we get there. We get to a scene when before <clears throat> the big ending, um, when Buffy, Anya, and Xander are leaving the magic box. She's like, "I feel like these things are all related, but they're all really." And Anya's like, "Yeah, lame." Yep. Uh, which is good. Um, but we will get there. Uh, so Amy peer pressures Willow into going out. I really laying on Willow. Their like, high school insecurities too. I thought that was really. Something <laughs> I know. That, like, you could be home and stay home and be lame like you were in high school. I was like, wow, that is blunt. It was, it was, you know, the first sign of manipulation. Yeah. 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 The character who, like I said, I really enjoyed showing her human side um, and the way that she was interacting with Buffy. But going with the theme that we're all complicated, she is also not above being a little manipulative. And I yeah. had a good time writing that too. Uh, yeah. Um, and I do really like the scenes of them out. You know, then, I mean, the only problem here is that 
Buffy and Willow both just forget about Dawn, but I mean, that's yeah. on purpose, but it's like, God damn it, the two of you, you have a child to babysit. Why are neither of you communicating? <laughs> Maybe they knew that Tara was with her. Maybe they knew that Tara was babysitting that <laughs> But, uh, so... I did like when Amy is like, oh, let's go dance. And Willow's like, no. And then she's like, oh, there's a gay person. How about that? That felt very accurate, like straight friend, mm, well-meaning right. being like, oh, there's a gay person. You can be We've with We've all that. had that straight friend do that to us. Mm. We've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> I was very fortunate that I worked for, for people who kept encouraging me throughout, my, throughout the entire time that I had on the show. They kept encouraging me to bring my experience as a gay person to the to the writing uh most most specifically later in uh in in killer and me uh the next season when willow nice. is is sort of you know really accepting who she is uh at, at that point um but it, it, it this was this was part of that too uh it was that part of it it was also the part where for me when uh amy goes off and dances with the two guys and willow was left alone yeah that also for me felt very familiar yes yeah you know what i mean yeah yeah watching your strength go off and have a good time yeah. you're like okay that's cool i'll just all hang out here by the pool table yeah. i'm good <laughs> like everyone else here is straight so i'm just going to stay here and be awkward yeah, yeah. before you find your own before you find your own tribe you know um yeah i certainly went through that when i came out where i i came out i knew who i was but i didn't have a ton of gay friends yet and yeah. uh so a lot of evenings yeah well you don't even think of it like because I just I all my friends in college were straight like 98% of them were straight and it's not because like I'm not like I sought out straight only friends it's just you kind of like are kind of raised a little in captivity a bit and uh that's yeah. just your reality you're like no 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 this is my reality I'm the one who stands here by the pool table and is just kind of okay with how <laughs> things go on and I'm kind of ignore that impulse in me that's super sad and screamy about this because yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh and i also put that uh uh amy and willow getting instant revenge on these douchey straight dudes was absolutely gay rights drew love it yes this the bronze is like my favorite i would like we need to do an episode that's just the bronze because the bronze is such a wonderful, like it's held so many different music styles over the years. Like they have, like them as yeah. a whole, like it's not a, it's such a, um, like a pansexual club. Like it's always like it's sometimes it's a little gayer, sometimes it's a little. Straighter. I want to look at their calendar for the yeah, month. I, I want to know what <laughs> nights are over under nights. Like clearly, there's like all ages nights, and there are some nights that are like gay and lesbian nights and i just want to i want a full month's yeah. worth of like what is who is the bronze programming no, joe, because we, we've talked like, about this before joe where um this is basically this is a very proto version of what would have end up on teen wolf with the beacon hills club where it was just like who is the clientele <laughs> yeah. here like it, yes. it was like totally true it was like it's hard drinking <laughs> but everyone here is a teen and it's druggy, right. but it's wholesome, right. but it's gay, but it's half gay. these werewolves are gay. It's like yeah. half, yeah, yeah, yeah. three quarters of everybody here is like a demon of some sort. Half these werewolves oh. are gay. What a what is what a statement. <laughs> that's my that's my college thesis on Teen Wolf is half these werewolves are gay. Oh, there I'm amazed it was even I'm amazed they kept it to half. Yeah. <laughs> 
yeah, then so Spike calls Buffy at the magic box, which I actually do really like this scene too, Drew, because I like that Buffy's like, Spike? Spike? <laughs> and he's trying to do like this like deep, like evil voice. And he's just like, oh yeah, it's me. All right, Spike. <laughs> the, idea that, the idea that Spike would call her on the phone is just so weird. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think we were all having a good time with that. <laughs> um, yeah. And so then Willow, or then Buffy departs from uh, Anya and Xander after they agree that the plans are all really lame. And Buffy meets up with Spike. Um, and they have a, yeah, they have a chat. Yeah. They have a, chat and, have a nice little talk. Near the air. Yeah. Yeah. It's very chill. Drew, Lita, talk us through writing this scene. <laughs> <laughs> it was when I showed up on the show, um, uh, one of the f- one of the first things that I was told, in addition to here's the dynamic, and how Spike is going to be Matthew Broderick. Um, it was uh, it was that Buffy and Spike are going to have sex, and they're going to bring a building down and they do it. Oh my god, it was that specific. Yeah. Oh wow. It was, that was that amazing. Was known from the very it was huh. it was known. I re- watching this, I was really like, I need Drew to explain how he came up with like them fucking a building down. <laughs> I mean, I wish I could take credit for it. That was that was one of the gifts that was handed to me. They were just like they were like, hey, we really want to do this wild idea where they fuck a building down. Let's give it to the new guy. We're, we'll just see if it fucks up. <laughs> if, it, if, if, if people yeah. hate it, then <laughs> we can just wash our hands. Yeah. <laughs> Right, exactly. And you know, he's going to do it. He's not going to say no. Yeah, you're not going to like be like, "Listen, I'm I'm stepping aside from this." What was that serial where they just like give it to give it to Mikey? He likes yeah. anything. He's just like, he'll, he'll <laughs> right. like, yeah. I was Mikey. Yeah. I, P.S. I thought it was fantastic. I was I was super excited to get to do it. Yeah, yeah. I was I was so happy because uh, I was like, yes, metaphor. I understand. <laughs> I this is one of the few like I specifically remember. I was like living in my dorm. I had come home to visit that night and I had my VCR in my bedroom in my house uh, set to record Buffy, but I got home just as like Amy and Willow are like finishing up in the bronze. And I remember just like being like standing in the middle of my room being like, holy shit, what? When Spike, when Buffy like jumps on him and I like stood watching that end just like in the middle of my like childhood bedroom, like, oh my God. You should know, yeah, you should know that this is a scene that many people who have never even seen the show vividly remember watching. Because uh, this is a friend, my friend of mine from college, she was like, yeah, you know, she was like kind of not super a Buffy fan. She was like, yeah, you know, I watched season one or two or whatever. It was wild. You know, I kind of fell out of it. And then like I was in college and then I tuned it on and I turned it on. And she's with Spike, and the and the building collapses. I just, it's like burned in everyone's brains. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Let it really, really raised the expectations for sex for a generation, though, man. I was just just really, <laughs> so that's what it's like. Well, I think, I think also um, it it raised the expectations for what zippers should sound like because. <laughs> <laughs> that, that zipper is the loudest zipper ever. We we were like we were in post listening to it and we were like, well, we can't hear it. We can't it's louder, we can't hear it. louder, louder. And then it was, oh, all right, we hear it now. It's great. And I, according to according to Wikipedia, it has made the Daily Beast fourteen dirtiest sex scenes of all time. <laughs> but you don't see anything. That's the that's the thing. Like that's great, right? Like dirty, but like. <laughs> You don't see anything. You just see a building come down. That yes, zipper just... really creates a lot of imagery. Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Drew. I feel like I I still 
can remember her. I, we see her riding yeah. him. For me, that was like, I was so there shocked. Was that. There was. <laughs> but yes. in the best way. I mean, I'm not saying it is a negative. <laughs> no, let me tell you. Because she's got that um, sort of I was very jealous of Buffy. sexual thriller sort of pushed against a wall. Yes. And she has the uh, the moment, like kind of the, the O-face thing. And it's, it's very, um, it was really good at like creating, you know, an experience without actually showing anything. If the if the goal was to establish that we are a in season six we are a more adult show uh, and handling tackling right. darker themes and topics, I think that's that's one way to do it. Uh, well, I always feel like there's a lot everyone that the show did in starting with season six that I feel like the WB probably wouldn't have let them do. Yeah, um, like I feel like UBN was pretty like yeah do whatever we finally have like a big show on our network. That's interesting. Yeah. I really wonder. I really wonder what would have happened if they had stayed on the WB. I wonder because I wasn't there for any of the WB years. I I yeah. wonder how much. I wonder how much pushback they ever gave. I'm trying to think of like what would have been the sexiest WB show, and I'm not quite sure. Right? Because I mean now, of course, like the CW has Riverdale, which is like gay porn without the penetration. But like I watched the, a lot of the WB growing up, so I would say probably Savannah. Savannah, Savannah. oh my god. Um, <laughs> Jamie Lunar. I don't even remember that was Chad Michael Murray on that I, one. I, he was on several other WB shows. Perhaps all of yeah. them. It was it was Jamie Lunar and Robin Lively. Robin Lively, that's yeah. who it was, yes. Robert Jamie Lively, Lunar, yeah. I loved from, of course, the seminal ABC sitcom, Just the Ten of Us. Um, uh-huh. And then Melrose Place, she's so good on Melrose Oh, Place. I remember that. Well, Robin Lively is just so, I mean, she's gritty and everything, but like, I, you know, I was definitely like, I was like, ooh, she was in Twin Peaks, which, you know, anybody who's in Twin Peaks, I'll just like watch forever. I'll watch any crappy thing you do for the rest <laughs> of your career if you're in Twin Peaks. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so... <laughs> So um, I also put in my notes that like, man, this is like a Buffy faith fight, but ends how most of the Buffy faith fights should have ended. Uh, the way they ended in many, many fan <laughs> entries online. And like, I say that, I say that as a very gay man who has like no interest in watching that. But even I'm like, yeah, but Buffy, they like. Buffy and Faith would have taken down like an arena. Like that would have been just like. Yeah. It would have been like, like an entire condominium building or something. <laughs> like, yeah. Just each floor caving one at a time into each other until. <laughs> That's how they destroyed the school. Well, I mean, the show has like Buffy has already sort of set up this magical system of like sex metaphor equals very giant physical uh, thing happening. I mean, you have a lot of like sort of the Willow Tara um, sort of sexual cheats a little bit to, you know, they have like, you know, sort of the magic, uh, their magic sex scene in they season shot four. That and then... machine across the floor in that one episode or whatever the hell it was. That's right. Right. Yeah. Was it? Oh, okay. it was a vending machine. I remember. Yeah. So Buffy's like always <laughs> traded in like sex equals the world yeah. moves <laughs> you know for a show that 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 employed metaphor so much and so skillfully i, I don't i don't know what else you could do i mean it's yeah yeah right like it it's it's sex is is a real thing and and it does create all this imagery uh for us so like why not just show what it feels like utilizing metaphor in the best way and and for this particular pairing I mean, that's it. It's going to be a building coming down. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Yeah, it's like they're actually just doing it. There's not there's not a metaphor, yeah. but also there's a metaphor. Right. right. <laughs> uh, so we're at the end of the episode. Um, 
Drew, what's yes. your favorite scene in this episode that you wrote? I, <laughs> I've been thinking about it. I <laughs> I really think. I mean, I obviously I'm I'm happy with the whole with the whole thing, and choosing a favorite scene is like choosing a favorite child. I couldn't possibly, except I will. Um, <laughs> I really I really enjoy the Tara and Dom uh, scenes, and Aww. you know, I again, it's it's human and it means something. Also, there's another thing that I that I realized again watching it uh, this time around that I, I hadn't thought about at the time, but I'm so happy that it ended up in there, uh, even if it was by accident. In at this time, having Don snuggle up with Tara on the couch, right. a teenager and showing physical affection to her lesbian her gay mom figure, yeah, 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 right. Like that was kind of revolutionary at the time. And, oh, for sure, right. I'm yeah. kind of delighted that we did that and it just was a thing yeah. that happened. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't a big deal. And to me that's 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 how uh it, it, I don't know. To me that's that's a really nice new yeah. image to see. Uh, and yeah. I, I was very happy that that. I really like hearing you say that cuz that's something that um uh, as a YA author we talk about this a lot. Um you know, it's been almost 20 years since that, but like it's 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 very um, it's, it's not taken for granted that, um, when you have a queer person able to, uh, it's one thing to have a queer person interact with, um, another adult, but to have a queer person interact with a minor and a child, like is a yep. very, very special yep. thing. And to have that sort of trust, because that is always been the, um, I don't even call it the stereotype, but the um, sort of the onus a lot of us live with is to just sort of like, oh, think of the children and oh, what will the children say? I mean, that's just a lot right. of the dialogue is around that. It's around, it's fine for you and I here at the office, but I need to explain this to my daughter or son or whatever. Um, yeah. Right. And I think that's exactly. just such a, I didn't even realize that, until you said that, like that is, it's great that it didn't call attention to itself, but it does go a long way to have these sort of like, no, they're, they're teachers, they're, you know, motherly figures, their fatherly figures. I mean, I think that's just good. It goes a long way. And I think <laughs> showing how, how happy Dawn is around Tara and, yeah. you know, I think, I think that that completes the the picture too. I'm, I was also delighted. <laughs> um, Joe, what's your favorite scene? I was going to say that the, the Dawn Tara scene too, and then Drew stole it. From me, Sorry. So. No, I went, I'll fine. just call out the, the line that I really liked where Tara made her promise to eat something green and leafy green, not gummy green. Adam? Mine is definitely, um, I, I, I love a good bronze scene. I, I really like seeing I really like seeing Willow and Amy together. I love the danger feeling of of that, where you can kind of, especially now that you know where it's going. I was it was definitely always a chill kind of watching you know Willow start to let her grasp go a little bit. All right, my I mean, my favorite scene is a sex scene because oh boy, a <laughs> <laughs> uh, very important scene to Ian growing up. Um, favorite outfit, Drew. Um, I think for me, it's a tie between Amy's amazing belt, oh, yeah. colors, which I love. And, and I'm just going to say it, Buffy's leather skirt. <laughs> I took two. I know that's not fair, but I, I couldn't decide. That's fine. Mine's cheating too. Don't worry. Um, Adam? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to go with Amy's bronze outfit as well. Um, more specifically, because I mean, I'm such a fan of late 90s, early 2000s fashion, even though it's like not well remembered. 
Um, <laughs> it's not well regarded in passing, but I love these sort of just like like shredded little arm sleeves she's got. Like it's just this, I just like I love like the outfits falling apart for no reason. Like kind of vibe the early two thousands clothes. Had. Adam, I feel like that's still both our fashion it's horrible it's happening everyone (laughs) knows everyone looks at me and understands that i'm trapped in the past yeah (laughs) a guy i very briefly like dated and when i lived in new york once when i like met him at a bar i remember it was like the summer and it was like it was a crowded ass bar and i came in and he introduced me to his friends as this is ian he dresses like he's an extra from the bronze (laughs) (laughs) i was just like that's meant as an insult but yes you're right i do (laughs) And I will take it as a comment. So that is fine. (laughs) If you're going to tell me that you don't see the line, the direct line between Amy's shredded sleeves in the bronze and David Rose on Shit's Creek, then I think it's it's plain as day. Take your credit. I I love it. I love that direct line. Um, Joe, your favorite outfit? Um, I don't know about like favorite, but like, no, like it's my favorite in the episode. The Buffy's sort of like minimalist recon outfit of like the black turtleneck sweater, with yeah, the, like the odd braids, like that. I'm not oh, sure we ever saw her with after or before, but it was <laughs> yeah, look these Star Wars prequel braids, yeah, where it's just yeah. like <laughs> odd hair. So, I also cheated. Um, I love Buffy, yeah, I love her like black turtleneck outfit with like you know, just like a small necklace because when she turns around when she's in uh Willow's room. Like, it, it looks like an outfit someone could wear right now. Like, I feel like it's not, it doesn't feel as dated. Um, but she has the thing that feels dated, which I had never noticed before. When she turns around, she has this, like, very early 2000s hair clip. And just, like, in the back of her head that she really doesn't oh, need. And I love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, like, gay gas when I saw it this time. I was like, oh, my God, look at that. And I, like, rewound it just to look at this, like, ridiculous thing in yeah. her hair. Um, but I... I also drew, I also love her, her like sexy spike outfit, like her leather skirt and the jean jacket. I love it. Um, and then I wanted to shout out spike with like, instead of a red accent shirt, his like purpley blue accent shirt, which is like not something we normally see him in. Um, and normally we grade the episode, but we're not going to do that. But Drew, what grade would you give the episode? I appreciate you guys holding back for me. Thank you very much. I, this th- listen. This is I'm not I'm not unbiased uh, about this. Um, uh, this was the most amazing way that I could start my career. Um, I I had had you know I had done an episode of Queers Folk before this as a freelance. Okay. Um, and that was up, in, but I wasn't involved in any of the production of it at all. I, I wrote the thing and I took off um, because I was a freelance. So this was the first time that I actually got to be part of a staff and be part of a show and and go down to set and. You know, I'd written. I don't know. Maybe they're breaking into a bank. Maybe or maybe they're breaking into mm. a museum to mm. to get a, a diamond. Let's say that. And then you go down, and they're yeah. building the museum. So oh, cool. uh, the whole thing was so charmed for me. And watching this thing play out, uh, it's it's an A plus for me because I, I had a really good time on it. So <laughs> I know that's probably not the juicy answer anyone's looking for, but I could not have asked for a better start to my career. That's absolutely the answer I'm looking yeah, for. I, mean, I feel like I'm like, I could cry. That's great. <laughs> I know. It's, I'm very uh, Liz Lemon's mom. I'm just like, they're building this museum set because of words you wrote. <laughs> 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 
thank you, Drew, for joining us. Um, so nice to me. finally have you on. I feel like we've been talking about this for a while. It's just delightful. It's it's very nice to get to talk to you guys. So thank you for thank you for allowing me to join you. Oh hush. Um, if you all like SlayerFest ninety eight, you can find us on Twitter at SlayerFestX ninety eight. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, and a couple other places. And it's time I ask our loyal listeners to support SlayerFest 98's Patreon if they're able to. For those of you who don't know, a lot of podcasts are completely self-funded. So is this one. And I put a lot of... It helps me with all the time, money, and effort that I put into this outside of my day job. I really appreciate anything you can give or any support, any retweets or reposts. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at Ian X Carlos on all platforms. Drew, where can everyone find you? Um, hiding under a desk most of the time. <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter uh, at Drew Zachary. Cool. Uh, Adam, where can everyone find you? Everyone can find me uh, at on Twitter at the Adam Sass. You can also go to uh, my website adamsassbooks.com. Uh, my debut novel for young adult is coming out next fall. But if you go to the website, uh, you can read all about it and find out how you can support it early on. Yay. Uh, Yay. Joe, where can everyone find you? I am on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. Cool. Uh, and thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.